All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, great, 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 great. Awesome to be with you. How many are excited you finally get to wear some long sleeves? Come on, somebody. <laughs> I couldn't wait. My, my wife had, had picked out some new clothes for me. I don't care if you like them, because she likes them. And, um, and I couldn't wait to get to wear some, so I'll be modeling for the next couple weeks. <laughs> just, just playing. Uh, actually, you can, you, get, uh, you can pray for my family this morning. My daughter, she had a, a temperature last night, about 103, and not feeling good. So looking a little better this morning, but uh, we're pretty cautious if one of us is sick about putting them with your kids, because we don't want your kids sick. And uh, so she's, my wife's at home, she wanted to be here today, especially because I'm talking about Covenant family, and uh, so you're going to hear lots of stories about my family today, I hope that's okay, but, um, but so she just said to make sure to tell everybody she wants to be here and she loves you all very much, and, and uh, man, we love our church. I, I think being a pastor is a lot easier when you actually love your church, and you know there's some pastors who don't love their job, and I, but I do, I'm having more fun with you all than I've ever had in my entire life, and uh, I want to thank you for... for for doing that, so so we're gonna we're gonna jump into the message here in just a second, uh, but we're gonna do something that that might feel a little bit weird first. And uh, I, I almost did this during worship because I felt like God said something to me last night. Um, but I kind of grew up, and let me just can I be transparent with you for a second? I grew up around a lot of these like the Pentecostal and charismatic environments where where um, and that's that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but there was a lot of weird stuff that happened at church. <laughs> And I didn't like it because I'm not into, and I don't think God is spooky. Um, in fact, the, the word for the scripture in the Bible that we have uh, is, is a word called logos. It's where the, uh, the word logic came from. And, uh, and, and so loving God, serving God, having a relationship with him is not spooky and weird. It's actually very logical. He's the creator of the universe. So we follow him and we try to please him with our lives. Does that make sense? All right, so. I always uh, almost argue with God anytime I get a strong impression about things because I don't want it to feel like it's weird in our church. You, got, you hear my heart on that? You with me? All right, so now you're all like, oh God, what's about to happen? What's he going to do? <laughs> it's, I don't think it's anything that crazy, but just yesterday as I was working on some stuff in my house, I felt like God kind of gave me this impression that that somebody would be here today that just kind of needed to hear this so let me just say it and if it's not for anybody we'll just chalk it up to me eating too much pepperoni pizza yesterday all right and uh so so i was actually doing some work in our bathrooms and replacing the the shower head um because because giving a kid a bath is a lot easier if you've got one of those ones you can take off and you know use it to spray him down and all that kind of stuff especially when Little boys, man, they're like, he does the alligator death roll. He's just trying to, you know, he's trying to move all the time. And uh, so I was replacing the, the shower head in our kids' bathroom. And when I took the old one off, I found something that I didn't expect at all. I've never seen anything like this before. And somebody previously who'd lived in the house had either over-tightened the, the shower heads that they had put on or, like, tried to jam some sort of rubber in it. So there was, like, this what should be the rubber seal was jammed up inside the pipe and it was just deteriorating and turning nasty. And so when I got the shower head off, it was like somebody broke a black pen and just sprayed black ink all down my arm. And it was, it was disgusting. It was gross. And so then I'm like, well, I wonder if the other, our bathroom is that way. So I went to our master and uh, our master bathroom and pulled the shower and same thing. So I was just like, 
this makes me angry. All right, and it was it was just gross, and I had to get tools and pull it out of there, put new shower heads on, all that kind of stuff. And then it hit me like we've been showering in that. <laughs> we've been washed for two almost two years. We've been sh- and the, but the water that comes out looked fine, and the old shower heads look fine. And this is where I just felt like God kind of just immediately said something to me that there are some people who the stuff coming out of their life looks fine right now and the shower head it looked all the parts look like they're in order but if you could pull that away and see what's on the inside some of you are sitting in this room today and you're going if you could see what's on the inside it's black and messy and I don't want anybody to know about it and I'm scared of what it would look In fact, some of you came to church. I feel like somebody came to church today and this was your, you're at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do with all this secret stuff that you're carrying around, secret sin, whatever. And I just, I feel like God told me to tell you, He already knows about all of it and He loves you anyway. And He, he cares about you anyway and He just wants relationship with you. So, in just an effort to make sure I didn't eat too much pizza and I'm not crazy, would you all just close your eyes for a quick second? And if you, if you say, hey, Michael, that's me. I needed... I need to hear from God today on that, and I need to know that He cares about me and that I'm in the right place because I'm there. I, I'm at the end of my rope with all this stuff I'm carrying around. If that was you, would you just, nobody else is looking. Would you just hold your hand up real quick? Just say, that's me. Okay, awesome. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, I thank you for those who are honest enough to raise their hands just now, and I thank you for this, I guess, prophetic moment that we've had, and I just pray right now, God, you would help those who are dealing with a, a secret struggle. Uh, to come out of the darkness and into the light. And God, that, that before today is over, their relationship with you would be strong and renewed and healthy. And I pray that you would lead them into healthy, life-giving relationships with some other believers who they can talk through this with. God, that they don't have to carry these burdens alone and by themselves. God, that, that darkness that these people feel is inside of them. God, it doesn't win. It's the enemy. It's deception. It's the lies of the enemy. And we know you win and the enemy loses because of the cross. And we declare that over each and every one of these lives this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody in this church says, amen. All right, y'all, you, you still cool? We are, that wasn't too weird for anybody, right? Okay, good. All right. Somebody raised their hand, so I'm not crazy. Thank you. All right. So, all right, let's get into our series now. And uh, again, if you're with us for the very first time, I think that's the first time ever uh, that we've done anything like that. So I, I just don't believe church should be spooky or weird or any of those things. I think God wants to be known and understood, but I think he also wants to be felt and he wants to be experienced. And ultimately, that's what we hope has happened for you today. But by the end of the day, we want you to experience the power, the love and the presence of God. How many I felt like Jesus was in here during worship today. Anybody else? I mean, wasn't it like, oh, yeah, I told the guys pause possible rapture today. I think it could happen. All right. So, all right, well, we're glad you're here. Hey, help me right now. Welcome anybody who's with us for the first time and you're checking us out. Would you just let them know that they're, we're glad you're here. So glad you're here. Thanks for, for taking time to hang out with us this morning. Last week in this series, Joel was talking about how to position yourself well for covenant friendships. And uh, I loved it. He talked about do the obvious, man. Be friendly. Eliminate distractions before they before they mess things up, serve together. That was one of my favorite points last week because even for me, most of the meaningful relationships I've been able to develop in my life happened. Well, in fact, single folks, let me just give you a tip. I met my wife while serving. Come on, somebody. All right. 
And here's the thing. Even if you're not that good looking like me, but you want to marry somebody good looking like my wife, God makes you look sexier while you're serving. So get to work, baby. All right. So, all right. Serve together. <laughs> come. And he talked about come out of hiding. Don't don't carry it alone. Don't do life alone. Great, great message last week, Joel. Were you guys here for that? Did you enjoy that last week? Wasn't that awesome? And our culture, we talked about in the, in the opening of the series how our culture tends to lean toward a contract style of relationships. And, and we live life like with this imaginary line drawn in the sand. And if people don't meet our expectations, what we end up doing is devaluing the relationships. Oftentimes we cut them off. I heard a pastor say one time that, that all of us have this uh, innate Ten- tendency inside of us to project our values and our expectations onto others, and then we live in shock when they're not met. <laughs> anybody, anybody ever been there? You're just like, how could you not see that the way I see it? Well, because everybody's got their own story, their own background, their own, and that's why it's so important that we do life in covenant, not in contract, because I can pretty much guarantee you that nobody on planet Earth is going to meet all of your expectations. The only one who can fulfill all of your needs and all of your expectations is Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. You with me this morning? So covenant is blood. It's commitment. It's owning responsibility and putting the needs of others above our own. And uh, so this week, next week, they're kind of going to be connected together. We're going to take a look at two areas that, that I believe Satan attacks us almost more than any other. He's working very hard to destroy and I think if he can keep us from having covenant relationships in these two areas of our lives, he can really derail us from our purpose. I want to live my life on purpose. And by that, by that I mean I want to get on track for the purpose that Jesus Christ has for my life. I believe there's a design, there's a plan that he has just for me, and I want to do everything I can to position myself to fulfill everything that he has planned out for me. But the enemy wants me off of that track, off of purpose. And I think these two areas that we're going to talk about today and next week are the areas that he oftentimes tries to attack us the most. And since we're going to, we're going to talk about family today, and some of you are going, well, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Why are we going to talk about family? I think the principles I'm going to share with you today apply to everything. And I also think one of the reasons why God has blessed my home, and I'm not, I'm not here to brag or to show off, but we're coming up on 13 years of marriage. We have two kids, one who's five, one who's seven months. And I look around at what life is like for me in my home right now. And honestly, I'm not sure it could be any better. It's not perfect. We, we, we're normal people. My wife and I, we argue, we fight just like you guys do. Um, all that stuff happens. But it's just, at the end of the day, I can lay my head on the pillow and it's just good. It's just really, really, really good. And I think some of the reasons that's happening and that we're living this blessed life is because even before we got married, while we were still single, we were both paying attention to messages like this. Before we became parents, we were both paying attention to messages like this. And so there were some values and some strategies and some principles built into us so that when we got married and when we became a family, we didn't have to sit there and figure out, okay, now now what? How are we going to do this? There was already some stuff in us. So are you tracking with me this morning? All right, so those of you who are single, those of you who aren't parents yet, um, take this stuff to heart, man. Put, tuck it away 
so that when you get to that season of your life, you're ready and you're prepared. And then for those of you who are married, you do have families, you do have kids. Maybe you're trying to figure some things out, something that just seems a little bit off. I'm, I think if you'll take what I share with you today and you put these principles into practice, you'll see the level of, of contentment and blessing in your family life start to go up. You cool with that? All right, so we're going we're gonna to hit family today, and the next week kind of uh, uh, attaches to that. We're going to talk about marriage, covenant marriage, all right? So we could do an entire series probably around family, and, and we probably will at some point. Most of what I'm going to share with you today is the stuff that's developed through our 13 years of, of marriage and now almost six years of, of parenting, which isn't much. But I also want you to know how I've arrived at some of these conclusions that I've come to, because quite frankly, some of you are further in family life and further in parenting than I am. And so I want to thank you, because it's hanging around people like you and asking lots of questions that's helped us learn how to create a great environment in our home. Uh, I spent about nine years working exclusively with students, teenagers, middle schoolers, and high schoolers. And I think I learned a lot about family life and parenting in that environment, because if if they weren't raised well, then their parents brought them to us and they're like, fix them, please, please. And now, and I just want to say, you can raise your kids perfectly and they still have free will and choice. They still have the ability to get off track. They still have the ability to, to maybe not live their lives wholeheartedly for God. And that's where prayer becomes so important. But so, so let's move forward a little bit and, uh, and, and look at this. I want to give you today some things that I believe are leading us to a strong, healthy, covenant culture in our home. How many of you want to have a strong and healthy covenant culture in your home someday? Or right now or someday? Come on, every hand should be up. I want that. I want to have a strong, healthy, God-first covenant culture in my home. And so, like I said, lots of different things that go into these things today. I'm not trying to show off. My family is not perfect. Uh, but I... I can only speak to you from my own experiences. I was, um, I, I'm, I'm a big sports fanatic. I, I love football, played flag football yesterday. Um, won, I just want to say, we won, my team won. <laughs> and uh, and um, once again, uh, had big plays on both, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You all never guessed who the MVP was yesterday. It was Kevin Twitchell. That dude has hands like butter, man. He catches everything you throw to him. It's amazing. Glue, glue. (laughs) Honey, sugar, sticky stuff, whatever. Whatever helps him not, whatever whatever helps Kevin look good, that's what it was. By the way, Kevin is single, ladies. Come on, somebody. All right. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and he drives a nice car, so, all right. Tim, you're not the one that should cheer. All right. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) what was I talking about? I love sports. That's what I was talking about. Anybody else like sports? Anybody play sports? Anybody play sports or any kind of competitive activity? All right. How many of you think it would be easier to beat the other team if you had their game plan ahead of time? It'd be easier. All right. I think it would be easier if you knew what the other team was going to do ahead of time. 
Well, check it out. Jesus actually gave us Satan's game plan in this scripture, and I'm going to unpack it for you here in just a second. It's in John chapter 10, verse 10. And uh, I think Jesus actually sums up the tension of our homes in this one passage. And I, the more, I don't think I've ever gotten more out of studying the Greek on just a single passage of scripture than I did studying for this message. And I, th- I think I'm going to show you what I want to do is I want to uncover the enemy's game plan for your family, for your home, whether it's whether it's now or whether it's at some point in the future. It doesn't change. Satan's tactics never change. They're always the same. It's always deception. It's always lies. And Jesus actually gave us, he gave us game tape. He gave us a a preview of what the enemy's game plan always is. He's in this passage talking about the good shepherd. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. We follow him. Obviously, Jesus is the good shepherd. And in John 10, 10, 10, he says this, the thief's purpose is to, and you know these, say it with me, is to steal and, and, all right, let's say it again. The thief's purpose is to, and, and, what a good class. All right, so, and then Jesus says, my purpose is to give them, who's them? Us. To give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, some translations probably more accurately use the word abundant life or that they might have life more abundantly. God's plan for your family is a rich and satisfying life. And that, what the New Living Translation here, instead of using abundant, they said rich and satisfying. But again, I went back to, the, I want to give you Jesus' plan for you first and then we're going to unveil the enemy's game plan. Um, so, let's look at the, what the Greek was for that word abundant. Check this out, I think this is awesome. It's actually uh, superfluous, beyond, unnecessary. Jesus wants you to have a life that's so good, it's beyond what's necessary. Hello, somebody. Don't you want that? Jesus said, I want you to have a life that's, that's it's unnecessarily good, rich, and satisfying. We see the same word, the same Greek word here for abundant is in Romans when Paul is speaking of favor. And he's talking about how the Jews had a certain level of favor over the Gentiles, but because of Jesus Christ and the cross, we all now get to be a part of that same inheritance. And he's saying we have access to this same kind of favor from God. Do you want to know what the definition is on that? Check this out. Pertaining to causing a decided or distinct advantage. Wouldn't it be great if our relationship with God was so healthy and so fresh that in our homes, as we're trying to raise a family, as we're trying to live in covenant, that God was showing up in such a way that we had this advantage and the outcome was already distinctly decided. Like it's done. We win. Come on, somebody. Don't you want to just be able to live in the confidence of that? Like the outcome is, is, it's already been taken care of. It's an unfair, already decided, distinct advantage. So that's God's plan for us. What is the enemy's? And this is what I think was, was crazy when I looked at what the original writers put in Greek. Satan also has a plan for our families. What was it? Steal, kill, destroy. Let's look at those words. And actually, the Greek word thief and steal are the exact same words in this passage. So the English translators, they were just trying to make it flow easier when you read it. So, so they said the thief, and that word in the Greek is exactly the same word as the word for 
steal. Makes sense, because a thief would steal. But let me tell you what that word actually means. It actually means the embezzler. Or the one who siphons away. So what the enemy wants to do is get into our homes, get into our lives in such a way that he can siphon away anything good. That's why, that's why secret sin is such a problem. That's why pornography and, and all of these things that we can do in hiding and in, in, in darkness, be, that, that's the enemy's way of siphoning your life away. To embezzle. He wants to do it. He wants to start out by attacking you in ways that you don't even realize anything's happening. When an embezzler is stealing money from a company, it always starts with just something small that nobody can even realize anything was ever going on. The embezzler. Look at the word to to kill. So he comes to steal and to kill. And this is the one that really got me. The Greek word here actually means, it doesn't just mean kill like bang, you're dead. It actually means to sacrifice to deity. And then the word destroy actually refers to killing while in battle. So the enemy, I think this is his game plan for our lives. He wants to start with just enough lies, just enough deception that he can start to embezzle, start to siphon out some of the life, start to suck some of the life out of our homes and out of our families. And his ultimate goal is to wage war against you, destroy you, and make a sacrifice out of you. I can't help but read that and think what the enemy really wants is to destroy your life and stick it in God's face. Because that's all, that's all he wants, is to bring glory and attention to himself. Does that open your eyes a little bit? Anybody ever thought of that, looking at John 10.10? 10? I didn't. I started looking at what these words mean. And that's crazy. He, the, the enemy actually wants to sacrifice your family. He wants to make a sacrifice out of you. I don't want that for my family. I want the rich and satisfying life. How many want the rich and satisfying life? Come on, are you with me? All right, enough bad news. Bible's clear that much of what we see and experience on earth is inspired by Satan. He's influencing our world and our culture, and that leaves us with an important question. I got to give, I got to give credit to a guy by the name of Ron Luce here because I just I stole this when I when I heard him talk about this topic. Yeah, this couple guys used to work for Ron Luce, Joel and Brian, so. Yay, Ron. Nobody else has any idea what we're talking about. But he set this up for us today, and this is the question. This is the big question for today, and it's in your notes. How do I create a culture in my home stronger than the culture in the world? Because there is this tension. See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get the culture of the world into your home so that he can begin the process of siphoning off the good things in your life. He wants to embezzle, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy, he wants to make an example out of you. So how do I create a culture in my home stronger than the culture in the world? I think Proverbs 24.3 gives us a part of the answer. It says it takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you six things that we practice in our home. This is probably not an all-inclusive list. Um, I'm sure there are some things that could be added to this. I'm not, I'm not an expert on any of this. Um, but after years of dealing with teenagers and, and 
parenting now on my own and, and just kind of experiencing some blessing in our lives and praying through this. These are just six principles that I think if you will implement them in your life, they'll lead to a covenant culture in your home. And here's the first one. It's to prioritize. Prioritize. And by that I mean put God first. Put God first. Matthew 6, 31-33 says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You know, those questions are getting asked a lot right now, and we're looking to all the wrong places for the answers. We're thinking, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Who's going to pay for the doctor's bill? How am I going to have health care? And we're looking to the wrong places, man. If you're waiting for the right president or the right government official to rescue you, you just get used to waiting. Come here. The seats are comfortable. Sit. It's going to be a long time. There's one person who has the answer to all of it. His name is Jesus Christ. And we've got to learn to put God first. One of the sickest things that's happening in our culture right now, it's not political forces that wage back and forth against each other. It's that our culture has stopped looking for the answer from Jesus Christ and started looking to man for all the answers. And so we go to the ballot box and we vote. I don't care which party you vote for. Neither one of them can fix it. Getting on your face before God and asking Him to become first in our country again, that can fix it. We've got to get God first, man. God first. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. Because here's the thing, if God isn't first, something else is. If God isn't first in our life, something else is. How do I know what's first in my life? I, I know three ways that you can examine yourself. No guilt, no condemnation here, no shame. Three ways you can examine yourself and figure out what's first in your life. Just take inventory on your time, your talents, your gifts, and your treasure, your finances, and your resources. What do those three things get spent, the, have the most amount of them spent on? Where do those three resources go the most? That's what's first in your life. Uh, oh, he's going to talk about money. Yes, I'm going to talk about money. You want your kids to grow up and have sound financial principles? Do money God's way. Let them see you doing it. Y'all know the story. I think I told you once before. I was talking with my daughter. She got a, a gift in the mail from a grandma. It was like 20 bucks. So I was like, I'm trying to explain tithing. And I'm like, hey, let's give 10% to Jesus. And I, so I'm, I, just, I thought I did a great job, this elaborate st- uh, explanation of why we should give 10% away. And at the end, she's like, I don't want to. <laughs> and I said, she said, I want to keep it all to myself. I said, Sarah, don't you trust Jesus with your money? She said, yes, I trust him without it too. <laughs> <laughs> but if God isn't first in our lives, Something else is. Write this down somewhere, because this line changed my life. Andy Stanley is the first guy I heard say it. Priority determines capacity. Priority determines capacity. And I would just say to you, if you find yourself sitting here today and you're going, oh, oh, I should put God first in my, my time, like, like I should serve other people or, or, or show up to church before the third song starts or, uh, or, or, or serve or... Or go to a small group and get involved in some other people's lives. I just don't know where I could fit that into my schedule. My talent, I'm supposed to like, I'm supposed to use that for the king. I don't know where I could, 
I'm already using all my talent for my career. My, my, my money and my resources, you don't understand, Michael. I can't even pay my bills as it is. I can't afford to tithe. No, you can't afford not to. Because what you're doing right now is you're operating outside of the covering of Jesus Christ. You're doing it your way, when if you would do it His way and trust Him, man, I, I'm about to preach in here. You don't think... <laughs> I mean, do you, do you, you don't think the Creator of the universe couldn't bury you in resources if He wanted to. He made it all. It was all His before it was yours. Technically, it's all His anyway, and the only reason you have any of it is because He wanted to see what you'd do with it. I can't afford that. No, you can't afford not to. Because you're doing life your way. And faith and trust says, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to put God first in every area of my life. Now you're all mad. I know it's okay. Priority determines capacity. And so if you find yourself in a place where you're going, I don't have capacity for anything else in my life, I want to encourage you to sit down and and self-examine what are the priorities. Is the God stuff first? Yeah, One of the common questions people ask me as a pastor, I'm sure Joel and Brian and, and other guys have had this question asked of them as well, is, People will often make this mistake. It's not really a mistake. It's a, it's, a, it's a valid question. They'll come to us and say, okay, God first, right? And then, like, what should my priority be? Like, my family, my job, then, like, ministry? Or what, what order should those go in? And for a long time, I made the mistake of answering, trying to answer that. And so we'd say stuff like, well, it's God, family, work, church. And, and, and it would shuffle based on who you heard that seemed to have a better answer for it all. And, and what I realized is I shouldn't even be giving that answer because all I'm doing is giving people a modern version of religion. Follow this. Check these boxes and it'll all be good. Guys, that's not what a relationship with Jesus Christ is about. And so my answer now is put God first. What, what order should all these things be in? Put God first. Because if God's really first, we're developing an intimate relationship with Him. And guess what? He can tell you what order He wants it all to go in. He can speak to you. You don't need to hear from me. Go hear from Him for yourself, man. Go talk to Him. You put God first, and everything else has a way of taking care of itself. That deserves a big, loud amen right there. Some of you are like, I was just going to ask you that today. I'll just put that back in my book. No, seriously, my answer, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or demeaning in any way. God first. It really works. Just put God first. And that's the linchpin for these other five principles. For all of this to work today, you've got to have a God-first home. You've got to have a God-first family. Some of us are putting people first. We're trying to fix everything and keep everyone happy. And it's actually ruining your family. It's actually killing you. So stop it. Stop it. Put God first. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, Our purpose is to please God. It's right there, folks. Our purpose is to please not Come on, say it again. Our purpose is to please not He alone examines the motives of our hearts. And so if we're going through life with people first, it's not going to go well. Oswald Chambers said this. I love this quote from him. If I put my trust in human beings first, the end result will be my despair and hopelessness toward everyone. I'll become bitter. Because I have insisted that people be what no person can ever be 
absolutely perfect and right. God first. It takes the pressure off. Just talking with Lynn outside this morning, he was saying, man, when you keep Jesus first, you can't even get offended by people. Because you just see everything the way He wants you to see it. Stop carrying all that stuff around, man. Put God first. Here's the second thing we've got to have to create covenant culture. And number two is pray. Prioritize and pray. Create a spiritual covering. Create a spiritual covering for your home. We just did a big series on prayer, so I'm not going to hang out here as long. Go get it off the website. It's good. Teach us to pray. But here's the thing that we need to understand about God is that He tends to show up in the places we invite Him. And so if we're not talking to Him, if we're not inviting Him to come into our homes and work in our families, then we can't be mad at Him if He doesn't show up. He tends to show up where we ask Him to go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You want to know how I start and end every day? Seeking God and asking, God, bless our home. Bless my family. Help me to lead. I don't have it all figured out. Help me to lead well. God, help me to remember that my wife Runs in circles, keeping our house looking better than I could ever. So help me remember, there are some things I can, I can vacuum. I can do that. God, literally, this is literally how I pray. I'm like, God, help me remember the things that I can do. Because I'm not acts of service oriented. I don't want to do that. I don't like it. Here, here's a little tip for you guys. This is psychology. This is proven fact. I'm going to stereotype for a second. The majority of wives, I say the majority because there are exceptions, the majority of wives view their homes as an extension of themselves. And so if the home is not the way that the wife wants it, everything's off. Whereas the majority of husbands view the home as a place of rest. So what do I want to do? I want to come home and throw myself on the couch and turn on some football. I don't care that there's diapers everywhere and laundry needs to be done I don't, care. I don't care that the beds haven't been made and the kitchen. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. But for someone who that home is an extension of themselves, it bothers them. It's an issue. And so husbands, you're wondering, why in the world are you getting all upset about the house and me not doing anything in the house? It's because it's an extension of her. And here's the, here's the real important truth. When you got married... Two didn't become two. Two became one. And so that old saying, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. It's, it's, you know how cliches become cliches? They're true. They're true. What was I talking about? I have no idea. Somebody must have needed all that because that has nothing to do with prayer. All right, Psalm 55.17 says... At dusk, dawn, and noon, I sigh deep sighs. He hears. He rescues. My life is well and whole, secure in the middle of danger, even while thousands are lined up against me. God hears it all. And from His judge's bench, puts them in their place. Isn't that refreshing to know? 
Anybody ever want to put your kids in their place? <laughs> sometimes you have to, but sometimes, man, you could just pray for them. Because the Bible says God will do it. He'll take care of it. Let's move on. So we need to prioritize. We need to pray. Number three, we need to prepare our families. Give your family purpose and confidence. Give your family purpose and confidence. Here's what I want to say to you about purpose. This might be worth writing down. If you don't know why you're here, neither does anyone else. If you don't know why you're here, if you don't know why God has put you on this earth, if you've never taken the time to go find out from Him why you're here, nobody else knows why you're here either. So it's extremely unfair that we put the expectations on others to help us figure it out when we really should just go to God. Your spouse, your kids, if you don't know why you're here, you can't know why your family's here. Because our purpose is all wrapped up into one together. And we need to be able to answer the question in our families, why are we here? Why is our family here? What is our family really, at the end of the day, like, what does it mean to be, for me, what does it mean to be a Smith? Well, it means you have the most popular name in the world, so it could mean a lot of things. But for us, what does it mean to be a Smith? In Joel and Janelle's house, at the end of the day, they need to be able to sit down around the table with their kids and say, what does it mean to be Amir's? What is it for you? What does it mean to be a Jones or a whatever your last name? What does it mean? What's it going to mean? What is the purpose? What is the thing that God has put a holy discontent in your heart about that your family has to accomplish together? It's the verse that I think best describes why my family, this might be your verse too, but I think this describes why my family is here. It's Acts chapter 26. It's right after Paul has an encounter with Jesus Christ and meets Him for the very first time. And he says, But now, up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and witness to what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. I'm sending you off, and this is the big one for us, to open the eyes of the outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. See the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. So for our family, for our house, you know what it's really all about? Man, God wants us to live life in a way that convinces the outsiders that this thing is worth being a part of. That's what it means to be a smith. And we actually use that language. We talk about it all the time with my daughter. We don't talk about it with Ben yet because, hey, Ben, what's it mean to be a smith? Bah, 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 bah. That's, that's what he does right now. Bah, 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 bah. Good job, buddy. <laughs> you got it. But with Sarah, we talk about it all the time. And, and if something happens, we think we'll, 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 we use almost anything as an example. A bad attitude out at the playground from, from another kid or something that's happened in school that she's trying to understand, or something we see on TV, we'll just I will say, is that something a Smith would do? And she'll say yes or no. She knows. We're, we're the Smiths, and this is what it means to be a Smith. We teach her. In fact, we create a rally. I think you should do this. I think every family should be able to have a rally cry. And I don't know what that looks like for you. It's kind of cheesy for us, but it's fun. We have this rally cry. And every once in a while, I'll just say, hey, Sarah, who are we? And she'll say, the Smiths. 
And I'll say, and what are we? And she'll say, a family. And I'll, say, and I'll say, and who do we love? And she'll say, Jesus. And I'll say, and what are we building? And she'll say, his church. And I'll say, and who's our football team? And she'll say, the Chiefs. <laughs> she knows. That's how we end it. But we... <laughs> That's important. Those priorities. God first, football. All right. No. So, so, but I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that at all. It, it, on a regular basis in our home, we have a rally cry. We're the Smiths. This is who we love Jesus. We're building his church. That's why our family is here. And so I would encourage you if you have a family right now, you've got kids, man, figure out what the rally cry is. If you don't have them yet, get a journal out. Start dreaming about what's the rally cry of my family going to be some way. You're single. You're looking for a spouse. What an incredible idea to write down the things that God's putting in your heart as a rally cry and matching those up with the potential mates that you meet. If you don't have the same rally cry, you should not get married. When you're parenting, when you're disciplining, be firm, but fair. Be firm. But fair, great book that every parent should read. It's by Ed Young. It's called Kid CEO. And here's the, here's the summary of the book. That if you were to divide your home up into offices like a company, mom and dad start out with the corner office, the biggest office in the house. As the kids get older and they become more independent, they want the size of their office to increase. Their influence increases. The problem in our culture is a lot of us, the minute our kids are born, we make their office the biggest office in the house. And in our house, I'm just telling you, not in a mean way, mom and dad will always have the biggest office. That, it's just that way. No, no office is ever going to be bigger. And so there's firm but fair discipline in our home. And I think it's incredibly important for parents. And, and uh, that book will tell you, as kids get older, they want more and more independence. And about the age of 18... They think they need an office the same size of yours. And that's why sending them out is a good idea. (laughs) Or create some structure, some boundaries around how they get to keep the privilege of staying in your home. Because it's not the same. You don't get to have the same size office as me. I'm dad, and that's mom, and we will always have the biggest office in the house. Period. Come on, any moms and dads, you're like, you needed to hear that today. You're going to go home and rearrange the offices. Come on, you with me? All right. We're responsible not just to feed and clothe our kids, but to help them figure out who they are. And I believe the key to confidence is discipline. If you don't want to raise stupid kids, raise your hands. You say, I don't want to raise stupid kids. Raise your hand. All right. (laughs) I don't want to raise stupid kids. If you don't want to raise stupid kids, Teach them to love discipline. So that's cute, Michael. Show it to me in the Bible. I would love to. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Anyone who loves learning accepts correction, but a person who hates being corrected is stupid. I don't want to raise stupid kids. So I, I teach them to love discipline, to love correction. You know how we do that? It's because we don't... We don't just try to alter behavior. We try to parent at the heart level. I'm not trying to change your behavior. I'm trying to, change, I'm trying to work at the heart level. I'm trying to help you understand what it, this is why, because Smiths don't act this way. Smiths don't say these types of things. Which leads us into number four, promote. Reward character over talent. 
1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we've made a decision in our home that if, if Sarah, she's going to join soccer in the spring, and if she plays well on the soccer team, we're going to high-five her and we're going to celebrate the win. And by the way, there should be a winner and a loser. There, there should be. All right? It's not real life for everybody to win. Everybody gets, everybody gets a trophy. That's dumb. That's just dumb. Because real life's not that way. So we, we, raise, we raise kids with unrealistic expectations of what the world is going to be. And then we want... Well, I'm going to get into politics. I'm not going to go there. God looks at the heart. And what I, one of the mistakes I see parents make a lot is rewarding talent over character. And so, good, good job at the ball game, little Johnny. You're the, you're the best player ever. And we pump him up around a, a you know why he can swing the bat well? Because it's, it's in the genes. It's a God-given talent. You're, you're an athletic family. Some, some families aren't. Not an excuse to be unhealthy or out of shape, but, but some families just aren't. Some families are more geeky. They can put a computer together. I, you know, whatever it is. But those are talents and gifts. And in our home, we don't reward get talents and gifts. We, re, we reward character. And so so when, when my kid tells the truth, when I know it was difficult to tell the truth, I reward that. When, when she does acts of love, like, if you come to v- and visit our house ever, you're leaving with a picture. Because my daughter just loves to give things away. And so every person that... C- we, we had to call Delmarva the other night because we were smelling gas. The stove had gotten left on. And the Delmarva gas guy left with, like, four pictures. Because <laughs> she sat at the table. She's like, this is for you. He's like, oh, okay. But there's, she's soft-hearted. She's gentle-hearted. And she wants everyone, she wants everyone to feel good. And I reward that. I said, Sarah, that's, I love that about you. That is one of my favorite things about being your daddy is the way you care about other people. That's character. That's not talent. You, are you with me? Do you see the difference? Let me give you an example. The other day, we were, we were, uh, I was dropping her off at kindergarten. And um, she's, <laughs> she's too confident. I would actually like a little bit of sadness whenever I send her into the building. She's like, peace, daddy, get off me. I'm like, hug, something, anything. She's like, no, I'm going to not make it. So there's this other little girl who, since day one of kindergarten, Sarah has noticed she's struggling. She doesn't want to be there. She'd rather be with her mom and dad. And so usually when we get there, mom is down on one knee and the little girl's sobbing all over mom because she doesn't want to go into kindergarten. And Sarah's she's picked up on that. And so... She, uh, she will walk over. I'll say, bye, Sarah. And she'll walk over to this little girl who's crying on her mom. And she'll say, it's okay. Come on. And she'll grab her hand. And she walks her into kindergarten. And they hold hands together. Takes her into kindergarten. Yeah, I love that. So, but check this out. It's, it's, here's the thing about rewarding character over talent. It's deeper than the two little girls. Because you know what her mom said to me the other day? She looks up as they're walking in. And she looks at me and she goes, I always, on the way here, I always hope that we get here at the same time as you guys. Because if I see them going in holding hands, I feel like she's going to be okay today. Now, a five-year-old did that. Why? I think because in our home, we reward character over talent. 
And we, we say, that's what a smith does. We care about when somebody's hurting, when somebody's not having a good day, we, try to, we do everything we can to help be a part of the solution. Reward character over talent. We look for the fruit. Well, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when we see those things, that's what we reward in our kids' lives. Number five, we've got to protect, guard the purity of your home. Did you see how smart I am? They all start with P. Isn't that awesome? So you can write P on number six. You'll be right. You'll have the first letter right. Protect, guard the purity of your home. I recently heard this. An inheritance is what you leave for your family. A legacy is what you leave in them. Inheritance is what you leave for your family, but a legacy is what you leave in them. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. That would be kind of weird. That was a cultural thing. Don't recommend that. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Here's the question I would ask you today. Who and what are you sharing the company of your home with? What you decide to let in through the TV, through the computers, through the eyes and ears of your children, that's a gateway to their hearts. And if we share company in our homes with things that are too carnal, I'm telling you, you may not see it now, but it's getting into the hearts of our, of our children. And we've got, we have a responsibility to protect the purity of our home. Some of you younger people, you're, you're dealing with issues that have developed in your life because the purity of your home was never protected. Hey, there's good news for you. Jesus can help you work that stuff out. And then you can make a decision. I was there. That was me. I, I remember the first time I found a magazine that I shouldn't find underneath, underneath my stepdad's bed. I, I remember that. I remember the, all of the things that started firing off after that. All of the different habits that started being developed all from started that, that all it took was a minute and it and it changed everything for me so we got to protect we've got to protect protect the purity of our home because here's the thing man there's no such thing as a secret it, just, it doesn't exist there is no such thing as a secret Jeannie mayo used to say this it's one of the it's one of the uh quotes that i've kept near to my heart the enemy of our soul reserves the right to expose our sin at the time when it will do the most damage. So you think it's secret, and I'm telling you it's not secret. And the enemy of your soul is reserving the right to expose your secret at the time when it will do the most damage. He reserves the right. Alright, I know it's heavy. Let's lighten it up a little bit. What do we do? What do we let our kids watch, listen to, and spend free time on? Alright, and here's the sixth one. You ready? Man, play! Have fun! together half like our home should it should be fun that's what what does it mean to be a smith it's fun a little cheesy a little corny sometimes but it's fun and we just we do anything we can to make sure that it stays fun ecclesiastes three thirteen says that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil this is the gift of god don't don't let your kids drink that's not what that's saying 
But we, listen, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God wants us to enjoy this life. Do you believe that this morning? He wants us to enjoy this life. And f- so fun is a part of the culture in our home. We have fun together. Having a family is full of challenges and problems. You can't change that, but what you can do is be intentional about enjoying life through all of the tough stuff. Play games. Ride bikes. Go for walks. In our house, we make up stories. We just make up, we make up stories. We make up animals. We make up characters. In our house, there's little orange men called Nakanakas. There's the hobbledobbles. There's the fleebledees. There's all these, there's all these little things that we have made up in our, imagine, in our backyard. There's animal parades during dinner. Uh, so we sit at the kitchen table and we watch the elephants go by. I mean, we just, anything we can do to make it, it's fun in our home. And if we're still having animal parades in high school, something's gone terribly wrong. <laughs> but whatever's appropriate for the age group you're parenting, man, make it fun. Play together. Play as a family. It's worth it. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. I think a healthy home laughs often. A healthy home laughs often. It's important. Would you close your eyes as the band comes this morning? As we close, I want you to remember how we started this today, is that we've got to get God first. It's the foundational piece to all of this. And that can't happen if we aren't in relationship with Him. So with every eye closed in the room this morning, if you'd say, Michael, I don't have God first. I don't have a relationship with Him. And I need to invite Him into my heart. I want to start today. I want to walk with Him. Maybe you even feel like He's tugging at you. You just feel that something tugging at your heart saying, that's you. I want to pray with you. And if, if, if you're feeling that today as the band begins to play, would you just would you hold your hand up and say, hey, that's me. I need that. I see it. Anybody else? I want to accept Christ into my life today. Anyone else? Awesome. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? And you can, you can make the words your own. But this, we're just going to invite Jesus into your heart this morning. Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for drawing me to you today. Come into my heart. Save me. Rescue me. Be my Savior. I believe You died for me. I believe my sins are forgiven. And from this day on, You're the Lord of my life. In Your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, did this help you today? Is this good? Good stuff? Alright, so next week, we're going to jump into marriage. It's going to be good. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let me pray over all of you this morning, and then Brian's going to come and and get you ready to worship God in giving. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every family. God, I pray that we would learn to be people who prioritize. God, who pray, who promote, who prepare, who protect, who play together, God. We want to have fun as families who serve you. And I pray for every family that's represented here today, the existing ones, the future ones, God, that you would You would put these principles down in our hearts. And God, that our families would be families that draw the outsiders to you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.